One of the best things about Baptism Sundays is I get to preach with a wet right sleeve. It's a reminder of how much God loves us. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 18, beginning with the first verse. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intend to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. Up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay and by the bank of the river kneeled down. And there the great God Almighty who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most far corner of the night, who rounded the earth by hand, This great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay till it was shaped in God's own image. Then into it, it blew the breath of life and it became a living soul. That's James Weldon Johnson's version of the creation story from a book called God's trombones. You may know it, but even if you don't, you know the image. Our God who creates and shapes the world and us. The ancient world out of which our scriptures come had a clear understanding of God as creator. They didn't know a thing about the Big Bang or evolution, or string theory, or black holes in the cosmos. But they never forgot that God is the source of all that is, and was, and is to come. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, that's the way the story begins. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. And then we have the beautiful words that we just heard in the 139th Psalm, words that Vanessa Smith shared with us last week from this very pulpit. For it was you who formed my inward parts. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. One biblical commentator said he used to watch his mother-in-law knit Norwegian sweaters. He said it seemed to him to be a very complicated process. That is, until he considered how much more complicated it must be to knit together a Norwegian. But this morning's passage comes not from the yarn shop, but from the potter's studio. Jeremiah is instructed to go down to the potter's house to hear what God has to say to the people of Israel. I'm not a potter, but I did a little research this week. First, on the internet, which initially got me nowhere, because if you do a search on potter, you get something like 118 million hits on some guy named Harry. So I refined my search, and I found an article on this passage that's an interview with a professional potter that then led me down a rabbit hole to a video that I watched. Have you ever watched a potter at her wheel? I think it's fascinating. When a potter throws a pot, and that's the terminology, to throw a pot. And I'm talking here about creative throwing, not aggressive or hostile. When a potter throws a pot, she begins, to take by, she begins by taking a lump of clay and wedges it, which means she needs it to work out air pockets and rough spots and to even out the water distribution. The clay has to be perfectly smooth the same consistency all throughout. Once the clay has been wedged, then the potter starts her wheel and sets the ball of clay in the exact center. And it has to be perfectly centered because if not, then it's impossible to throw the pot because it'll fall apart in the process. So when the clay is centered, she begins to very slowly push her thumbs down and drops a hole into the middle. And then with one hand on the outside and one hand on the inside, she begins to open it up and pull up the edges of the pot. Now here's the thing that I learned this week. Clay has memory. That's to say that even if you can fix a problem in a pot so that it looks okay at the moment, once the clay is fired in a kiln, it will remember that flaw and it will come through when it's done. For instance, say that you've just finished your pot and you're reaching across for a towel or a sponge and your elbow hits the side of the pot. You can start the wheel again and fix it. It can look just right and perfect to you, but once you fire the pot, once it comes out of the kiln, that edge will be bent because clay has a memory. It remembers the flaw. And that's what's going on here in this passage from Jeremiah. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And the potter reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. The pot has a flaw in it. So in the end, it won't be useful. It will not serve the purpose for which it's being created. 
So the potter smushes the clay back into a ball and starts over. She's in no hurry. She begins forming and reforming, coaxing the clay into the shape she has in mind. She would rather start all over and take the extra time than settle for something flawed. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do the same with you, O house of Israel? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. I love the image of God as the potter. Although the idea of being God's lump of clay doesn't exactly give me a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. But there we are. You are the potter. I'm the clay. Words that we'll sing in just a few moments. Words which carry with them good news. God the potter is constantly remaking us, remolding us, reshaping us. It's the deepest longing of the human heart. I think it's why we show up here week after week, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, because deep down, we all want to be made new. That's what resurrection is all about, being made new. Margaret Farley, who used to teach at Yale Divinity School before she retired a few years ago, said that whatever the Christian faith has stood for over the centuries, it has always maintained that today does not necessarily determine tomorrow. That's what Paul meant when he wrote in Romans, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Do not be conformed. Be transformed. One of the things that I'm sure I've shared with most, if not all of you, is that I'm not good at Facebook at all. I'm not good at it because honestly, I don't like it that much. But I was pleasantly surprised a couple of months ago when someone in one of the Facebook groups for pastors that I somehow, by no work of my own, became a member of asked for stories of how churches where they serve or churches that they've heard about have been transformed. It was fun to read some of those accounts and to think about what God has done and God is doing here at First Presbyterian Church. Reading the stories shared in that group made me think about the story that I heard once of New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. You may know about this church. It was Peter Marshall's church, the famous Presbyterian pastor from the early 1900s who was also the chaplain of the Senate and had an Academy Award-winning movie made about his life. And before him, New York Avenue Presbyterian Church was known as Abraham Lincoln's church. New York Avenue is a congregation of about 700 members. And for those 700 members and their dozen or so staff, the church has a grand total of zero parking spaces. That's because New York Avenue Presbyterian Church does not have a parking lot. What they do have, though, is location. The church is about four blocks from the White House in the lower northeast section of D.C. It's not one of those up-and-coming, regentrified areas like Adams Morgan or Georgetown. 
The people who live in that area generally do so because they have no other place to live. Many of them on the streets. And so out of the clay of that congregation, God has fashioned a church that understands that it's in a place to serve its neighbors. New York Avenue may not have parking places, but they have programs every single day and night of the week. Mentoring programs, homeless ministries, a day center for folks struggling with mental illness, Meals on Wheels providing two meals a day to its clients. And over 30 years ago, New York Avenue Foundation was established to improve the educational opportunities for students in DC. Over the last three decades, the foundation generated enough income to disperse hundreds of thousands of dollars in grants and scholarships and money for programs. New York Avenue used to be the place to worship in in D.C., a lovely neighborhood, prosperous, well-educated, well-respected citizens. And then the city changed. The church could have buried its head in the sand, become rigid and inflexible, kept doing what they've always done, but they didn't. They allowed God to remake and remold them into a vessel serving a new purpose in that community. And then there's the story of the Sunshine Advent Christian Center or Christian Church in Deer Isle, Maine. These two churches could not be any more different. Sunshine Advent Christian is a small church of working class families, most of them lobster fishermen. Theologically, geographically, philosophically, architecturally, in every way that you can imagine, these two churches are miles apart. Their story, though, also came to my mind this week. It's a story about an announcement made a few years ago on a normal Sunday, summer Sunday morning that would have likely gone unnoticed by anyone who just happened to be visiting that morning or anyone who wasn't paying any attention. The announcement was this. Beginning this week, our Tuesday evening prayer meeting will be moved to six o'clock for the rest of the summer. We're changing it so that our fishermen will be able to go home and get enough rest before heading out for the next day. Apparently, being a lobster fisherman in Maine means that you have to be on your boat, heading out to pull traps by four o'clock in the morning, which is about the time the sun starts to come up that far east. And for those fishermen and women to leave a prayer meeting at 8.30 or nine at night meant that they weren't in bed until maybe 10.30 or later and having to get up just a few hours later at three. So the church changed its schedule to accommodate its people. Now that may sound like a silly example, but how many churches do you know that would have said, we've always had our prayer meeting at seven o'clock on Tuesday nights, and we're gonna continue to have our prayer meeting at seven o'clock on Tuesday nights, and we'll keep having that prayer meeting at seven o'clock on Tuesday nights until Jesus comes back. And if they don't like it, they don't have to come. But the good folks of Sunshine Advent Christian Church understood something about God. That God is always remaking and remolding and reshaping us to be in touch and in tune with the world in which we live. 
And that requires some flexibility on our part. These two stories of these two churches are meant to show us that the same clay may end up in a thousand different forms. A pitcher, or a chalice, or a plate, or a bowl, or a coffee mug. Whatever seems good to the potter to do. These same faith, the same faith, shaped and formed and made into different communities, different congregations, different ministries, as it seems good to the potter to do. What is God calling us to be? Like clay in the potter's hand, God says, you are mine. About 30 years ago, a pastor went on a trip to the Congo. She was the guest of Presbyterian missionaries in the Kasai region. The area they visited had been devastated with problems of hunger and malaria and later civil war. One afternoon, they stood at the bedside of a child who was dying of malnutrition. Honestly, the pastor said, she thought the boy was already dead. He was entirely still. She said a prayer and then started to walk away when she heard a faint whisper. She turned back to the bed and realized that it was the boy speaking to her. He said the one word that she knew in the Shaluba dialect. It was the word moyo, and it means, I wish you life. I wish you life, God says. I wish you life, and I wish it so much that I'm willing to reshape you, to remake you, to remold you into something new, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it means sacrificing what you've always been or always done or always assumed. I wish you life because through you, I wish life for this world. Amen. Let us turn to God in prayer. O good and gracious God, we are in your hands. You mold us Sometimes you break us, but in all ways you claim us, you renew us, and you redeem us. Remind us of that when we feel forgotten, when we feel like there is no hope, when we feel like there is only darkness. Oh God, remind us that we are in your hands. Oh God, we pray for those who are broken in body and spirit, who live with illness or injury, and those who are facing their last days. And so we pray for those in our own congregation, for Liz Key, for Earl and Peggy's daughter, Hagler's daughter, Laura, for Tony and Baxter Ragsdale. We pray for the two teenagers killed yesterday on Douglas Lake. We pray for flooding in Kentucky and the water crisis in Mississippi. Oh God, there are so many prayers we could name. And so search our hearts and hear them. We especially give thanks for those that have gone before us and rest with you, remembering especially Sharon Tarn, and ask that you would gather her in your arms and remind her loved ones, remind us 
that you embrace us both in life and in death, for we belong to you. Greet us in our grief and turn our lament into hope. Transform any fears we might have, transform our sin into mercy, love, and peace. Transform those who seek death and violence into bringers of peace. Convict us to step into ditches, into the darkness, into the distasteful, and recognize that every person we encounter is made by you and is therefore worthy and loved. God, beyond all words and description, we cannot sufficiently name you, but we know that you never abandon us. And so bind us together as one in Christ Jesus, and help us remember now that prayer that Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to worship God through our tithes and offerings. <laughs> 